0: Hi everyone, I'm the GM and co-founder of Oasis Consortium, a nonprofit organization that builds user safety standards and drives ethical platform and brand building. We cannot talk about user safety and trust without thinking about how to be global and inclusive. So today I invited Arjun Narayam, Global Head of Trust and Safety of Twaisho Technologies. Welcome, Arjun.
1: Thank you, Tiffany, for having me here. My, My pleasure.
0: Arjun, share with us your background and a little bit about Kuaishou Technologies.
1: Yeah, so, so let me start with my background first. I've, uh, I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm quite recent with Kuaishou, but I've been in the trust and safety business for about 17 years, I must say. I feel very old right now. But I, I started off my early career with uh, GE and American Express. Nothing to do with trust and safety, but, you know, start of my corporate career, blue-eyed, just entering the corporate world. But I, uh, my inflection point in, in my career was when I joined Google early 2005. So that's kind of when when I make my foray into internet and internet technologies. And Google back then was, was just Google search, just just getting started. So so I spent about 15 years with Google, doing different things from localization to working on their ads product, which which was fledgling back then when I joined. And when I left Google, I was running what what was uh, what had then become trust and safety. Before that, there used to be a team called Product Quality Operations at Google, and basically this team was responsible for Google's uh, experience, but it, user experience, as it came to how Google. Uh, users experience their products and when i say user experience as it pertains to trust as it pertains to um, them having a positive experience on the platform so yeah I, I was with trust and safety even before it was called trust and safety back then and used to be called product quality at google and i'll, I'll take you through some some high points and low points on my journey later on but after google i joined uh tiktok and you know amazing company. I spent about a year, three months there. And then I wanted to do, do something more intimate. And I figured I also, you know, started to, to feel good about contributing and helping companies go global, go big. And that's kind of my mojo, if you will. And so that, that's when I uh, joined Qua Shao, which is my current company. Um, so, so Quora Technologies is also a, sh- uh, a short-form video platform, and uh, um, it, they're a very social platform. And a lot of people might have heard of their, some of the apps. So, you, you, you know, in, in Brazil, in, in um, Latin America, uh, we have an app called Quai, um, and we're just about starting to see a lot of people spend spend time on this app again. We'll talk more about Gushao and our app ecosystem and our motto and our philosophy a bit but but yeah, enjoying myself uh, here so far.
0: Thank you, Arjun. I was about to say, but you right away mentioned you were in trust in safety before trust and safety existed seventeen years. Tell us how have you seen this space has evolved
1: yeah, so for me the the earliest I can go go back in time um, to what was, I mean, there wasn't such a thing as trust and safety back in the day. When I at least started off, we we were very focused on, and I'm speaking purely for Google here, not the industry. We used to have teams that were more focused on product quality, and let me qualify that in a minute. So basically, at Google, there was a, there was felt a need to basically have a team that was focused on improving the the. The, the quality of our, our, our services and our offerings, speci- specifically search. right? The, the algorithms were great, but the algorithms weren't perfect. So you, you needed a team of human operators, human analysts who could complement the algorithm in making sure that when it came to things like local search index, when it came to things like making sure that the right links were showing in the right places, you, you you required human intelligence to augment algorithms over time that focus on quality pivoted to abuse pivoted to making sure that you know algorithmic penalties were accurate you know as as things grow and and i half jokingly say this but typically money follows the abuse trail right as something goes mainstream abuse follows that is you know mm-hmm. as things go mainstream that's where money has to be made so as, as digital technologies started to go on the up and as, as search became more mainstream, th- th- there was this whole business around SEO. I don't know if I mean, if that term is familiar yes. with your audience, but search engine optimization became such a thing. As people started to find more brands on search, as, as, the, uh, you know, as, as the consideration funnel started to include search engines, a lot more brands started to pay attention um, to this area right I mean and, and then there was this, there was this whole billion dollar industry around making sure that your brand uh, was well placed within the search results, they showed up accurately, the information was up to date and, and within the search uh, and, and as you know SEO became an industry there were some there were some agencies some companies that started to find ways to to bed the rules. Uh, which which i don 't think agreed with our community guidelines, which did not agree with fair principles, if you will so and hence the need for a team that basically started to um observe some of these practices and and and, and tried to find ways to mitigate um risk for uh, for users, making sure that what they were seeing was was genuine was a product of authentic rankings uh, was was not necessarily manipulated right. Because you want the search index to be a true reflection of, of how the search engine is ranking your website. So, so that was kind of the, the pivot from a quality focus to more of, of an abuse focus. And over time, as other product lines came into existence, we started to see different kinds of abuse on the platform, right? So early days of the industry, it was obviously search engine. As search got more popular, then you had ads showing, against search results, which is still true. And then people started, we started to see abuse of ads. Uh, We started to see, and and let me give you an example, right? People might think, okay, what, what, how can you abuse Google Maps? But we we started to see everything from fake listings to people, you, you know, we call it uh, review bombing you can you can leave inauthentic reviews which again uh, if you think about it you know if you go to an establishment on google maps you want to be reading correct reviews or accurate reviews right because uh, you know that that's what your uh, that that tells you a thing or two about the establishment so so again abuse takes the form of the product but at the core of it you know we were seeing things from you know uh, misleading information to inauthentic information to inauthentic behavior to more sophisticated forms of abuse towards the towards the end of my google stint but the one big inflection point i would say was when we started to see brand safety headwinds and this was around uh, 2000 2000 13, 2014, I think my memory fails me, but this is when a lot of the big brands started to call out YouTube for, you know, kind of inappropriate content that they were showing against. And that was a big inflection point and wake up call where Google and YouTube started to invest very, very heavily. Both in terms of algorithmic protections, as well as making sure that there was human investment in 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 tagging content and making sure you know the right apps showed up against the right content and the right content showed up as people were um, were looking for information. Yeah, so that's that's been that's been my that's been my journey, and in a way, I think you know it's also been the journey of how digital platforms have evolved in the trust and safety space. I mean, today it's so different from the early days where. Um, we had to think about SEO and black hat practices. And today it's extremely sophisticated where you, you not just have to think about SEO. They're like there are so many different kinds of abuse, but it's not all dark there. I mean, it, like the, the interesting piece for me is it's, it's a cat and mouse game. The more sophisticated the abuse, the more sophisticated in, in the technologies and the infrastructure that's able to make sure that users feel safe on, on the platforms.
0: One thing I loved a lot, uh, what you said, is uh, people really get very creative to be nasty and toxic online. So, and also those behaviors are accelerated by technologies. So it's really make the task for trust and safety leaders like yourself quite hard to make sure you actually catch the mouse there and make sure both for, from a human resources perspective and a technology resource perspective to really scale trust and safety for the company. So after Google, you went to uh, Bydance and now at Show. So there are really three different stages of companies. And also, I don't know, were you in the U.S. or uh, in APAC when you were with Google?
1: Yeah, so when I was with Google, I was based in, so I've done different roles at Google. So my last few years at Google, I was with Trust and Safety, uh, but I was in a global role based out of Singapore. And I was heading their, what was, what was then called vendor operations their uh, or their scaled operations unit responsible for content moderation across Google products. So it was, it was a Google global role based out of Singapore,
0: so but, your- but
1: responsible for their content moderation, uh, infrastructure, content moderation uh, across the different global sites. Sorry, please go ahead, Tiffany.
0: Oh, totally. So how, how have you found the definitions and the measures vary from company to company and from culture to culture, from region to region?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think at, at, at a at 100,000 feet view, a lot of the, a lot of the companies, and um, the, conceptually, the way they think about abuse, the way they see abuse, I, I, I think, you know, conceptually, there is a lot of, I would say, alignment right? Like online harm is online harm. But what is interesting is just in terms of how this then gets interpreted in terms of policymaking within the product line. How this manifests is also a function of the architecture of the product. For example, Google News is very different from Google Search, different from YouTube, because, because again, one is a search index and the other is a free host platform for UGC content, right? So, so the, the way abuse manifests itself is also very, very different. And so it, it, to answer your question, I, for me, I think what's, and I can answer this in multiple ways. So one way of answering this question is what do these com- how do these companies observe their own products, right? Because ultimately what, what you see on these products is a function of what the product was meant to be. Right. So, what's the architecture of the product? Second, how the users or community use these products? What do they believe in? Because one thing you have to remember is community guidelines or policy making is not just made in an ivory tower, it's not just made by uh, the companies alone. In, in a lot of ways, it's also an expression of what the community. Um, expects of the product, what the early adopters saw in the product, right? In fact, some products have their own cult users and the users want a certain, they have a certain expectation of the products. And people usually, when when people say, oh, you know, uh, the companies don't get it or or they don't make um, the right policies, I'm like, you're the community, you're the users. Users are very, very powerful in shaping and dictating what they expect and how they expect users to use their products and that's true for real life by the way that's not just true for you know if you think about our laws if you think about things that govern us in a lot of ways you can say that it's an expression of how civil society wants certain rules of governance right so anyways so coming back to what i was saying so when we think about, you know, what are certain things that influence how the product looks and feels, it basically a major part of it is user experience. How does a community, what does a community aspire to and how does a community want to use that product line? Then it's also about the product architecture because the way you see abuse is very different based on um, the product line. Then it's also about the audience, right? Who is using the product? Is it millennials? Is it is it baby boomers? Is it because, because it, again, it's a very different audience, and in some cases, uh, you you also then because audience is not homogeneous. You you also have pockets of who is using more in which region, and you also then see different kinds of abuse uh, based on uh, based on the source or origin um, of that abuse. So for me, Google as a company was always about scale, and this is something I've learned at Google. It was always about uh, you know about doing things at scale, it was always about you know how do you fight abuse at scale and so they were amazing at this but when you're when you do things in scale right sometimes the opposite of scale is when you when you when you see pockets of hyper local abuse or when you see pockets of um, micro issues they they tend to uh, they tend to take longer to be to be mitigated compared to you know, what you can solve at scale, right? So that was kind of an interesting approach at Google, but what's interesting about that company is both their approach to how they serve their users, as well as their core philosophy, which is heavily focused on automation, heavily focused around being able to make sure that users not just, you know, feel safe on their platform, but also have a positive experience. So, so, so that that's kind of Google. Uh, I think for me, ByteDance was also an interesting experience because they were just getting started, and you know yeah. they were expanding like crazy, and a lot of their focus was creativity and how do you make sure that you, you get the creators to be their authentic selves? How do you make sure um, you don't lose that funny, creative, entertaining vibe? And 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 a core part of that then was to make sure that you you don't curb creative expression. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to creativity and abuse, although these are very different terms, um, in my world, sometimes, and especially when you think about user-generated content, sometimes the lines blur. People do interesting things to be Creative, and you also want to you know, want to make sure that when people are doing things, you know, a they stay safe, and also we want to make sure that people who are watching that content also don't end up doing things that that might hurt themselves. So, 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 so things like that, making sure that you know the content stays within our guidelines, making sure that being mindful that we're not curbing anybody's creativity or freedom of expression, but at the same time, um, making sure that it's it's within certain guardrails I, I think for me that was the and it's a, it's a it's a fine balance it's not easy because sensitivities are very different cultures are very different and how do you how do you balance that and kwasha was also interesting because you know they are they're also on that trajectory on that pathway to go global and one thing i've i've realized is cultures are not homogeneous and so as you as you start to in book Uh, TikTok, Google, as well as Quasha, in a lot of ways, these are content companies and content is produced by people across different cultures. So there is no homogeneity there. There's no predictability there. And and people are inherently different. People are very creative. They have their own imagination. They have their own experiences. How do you you find a way to to, to bring all of that in, in a way that doesn't create cultural conflict. How do you reconcile for cultural conflict? How do you reconcile for different sensitivities? How do you create a user experience where users see what they want to see versus, and balancing that with serendipity, right? You know, if, if I heavily personalize everything that you want to see, that's fine. But how do I also show you something that you might not realize you want to see, but, but, Give you that experience in a in a positive fashion, so I, I think you know these are all things which which i you know I tend to reconcile, I and my teams reconcile with in working with uh, you know with different companies within their partner engineering teams
0: it's super interesting to foster the diversity and inclusivity. What you were saying is that you should have some common philosophy and a principle to approach it, and the way you expressed it was that the community guideline is almost like an identity. So it is up to each platform to decide what identity should be and really stick to it, enforce it and create the technologies and moderation teams to to make that happen. So it's super interesting how you respect the diversity and inclusivity while having a go-to principle to do it. That's, That's fascinating. And so let's talk a little bit more about Kuaishou. So so Kuaishou has uh, 776 million monthly active users on around that number now based on my latest check on the internet. So it is a huge user base. And something you mentioned, how we can actually use trust and safety to create more user engagement. What is your experience so far uh, at Show to really use trust and safety as part of the user experience and user engagement?
1: Yeah, so so and let me come back to you first by by just expressing what I think is, is the DNA, what what the company believes in, right? I think for us, a huge part of what we believe in is believing, is is building a community that is equal, that is diverse and and very inclusive, right? We are, we we want to be a, we, we want to be a platform for the masses. We want to be um a, an app for the joshmo as as much as we want to be an app for you know the micro influencer or the celebrity creator right so to, to that extent the core philosophy behind kwasha's app ecosystem is how do you in a lot of ways it, it, it is internet right it's how do you democratize and how do you be a platform for people's expression and not and, and not necessarily limit that to certain uh, people who are expressing themselves but how do you bring the world together, especially, and, and a lot of people don't say this, but there is, you know, there's so many chasms, so, like there's an urban rural chasm, there is, you know, certain pockets where, the, <laughs> I, I guess, w- what we see is, is very unequal, and we're trying to, in a lot of ways, build that Diverse, inclusive platform. So, so that being at the core of what the company believes in. I think we we we, we have a huge user base in China. So that's one part of uh, the company. And then obviously with with that success and and the core belief in being able to add value to users, they've started to go international and uh, with different product lines depending upon and and customizations. Because again, like I said, cultures are very different, and you also have to localize to to, to where you're launching. So we're starting to expand internationally in different markets. Obviously, uh, we're fledgling. We're just getting started. But when you're just getting started, the future is right there, right? It's, you have so much headroom to grow. And you also get to reflect and learn from experiences other companies, other platforms have had um, along, this, along this journey. So you know we're humble enough to recognize that, realize that, learn from other companies, learn from how they've um, made their journeys. But the idea, again, at the core of this is, you know, how do you how do you make sure that you create a very democratic, authentic platform, uh, which is a platform for the common man creator, right? Or at least that's what I've understood as the core philosophy of out the platform, right? It's people like me who have, who, I, I don't think I have a funny bone, but I, I might have something to do, some, some content to contribute, maybe very trust and safety, boring content. But if I want to be a creator, maybe I will take to, to one of Kwasha's apps, app platforms, because A, they they there's simplified video creation. B, I feel at home. I'm not a celebrity creator. I probably create content once in a while, but I, I also want to connect with the world, right? So that's, that's kind of their core philosophy and the kind of audience, I guess, they're trying to build. if if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, thank you for bringing the DEI perspective into the talk of trust and safety. So first of all, congratulations for for the IPO in February. So I won't be surprised you will continue the expansion. And if you were to give a lecture to the new uh, trust and safety leaders who are tasked to grow internationally, what are the key challenges and the solutions you want them to be aware of?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so, so, so first things first, I always start with product, trying to understand what are the, who is the product trying to reach out to, right? What's, what's the audience? It's extremely important to understand that. And sometimes some people don't, you know, they're just like, oh, let's go solve the problem. Before we solve the problem, I think it's important to define what the problem is. How did the problem manifest itself in the first place? So I, I think it, it all starts with what, how is the product designed? What's the, what's the intended use case for the product, right? And how is the community using the product? So, so these are the, the basic foundations of uh, you know, trust and safety, or for that matter, any, any other team, right? You, you want to understand the core ethos, the core philosophy of the product. I think the second piece, and this is where I struggle to, I mean, after 15 years, I still do as so every product has a product life cycle, right? You have early adopters, and then you introduce new features and your, your product takes off, right. And you, you get your community growing. Now, as, as, as that cycle happens at some stage, you reach this inflection point where you have to make uh, make certain decisions, right? What. And especially for content platforms, what do you want to be as a content platform? Do you want to be a platform where, and, and for lack of a better word, do you want to be a platform where anything goes, where everything is moderated and decided by the community, where you're okay with counter speech, you're okay with all kinds of speech? And, and there are some platforms that do that, right? I mean, the, the core philosophy is the community will moderate itself. The community will uh, will raise their hands if something goes out of control, right? No right or wrong answers here. It's just a different philosophy. But the idea is we want to be a platform where, where not when I say we, some platforms want to be a platform where it's unmoderated speech, but with certain guardrails, but with more burden on the community to be, to be the, the vigilantes, for lack of a better word, that, that are moderating the content. Whereas in some cases, there are some platforms which, which are like, no, we want a very... Curated experience because that's what we are as a platform, right? And nothing wrong in that, right? I, I call this the uh, the amusement park approach. When you go to an amusement park, you sit on a roller coaster. You know you're going to be safe. You have your seat belts on. You have all the protections, and you get that adrenaline rush. It's a it's a curated experience, and you're going. To an amusement park because you want to have fun, of course you can buy a newspaper and you can you know you might read articles about incidents happening, you can feel sad about things, but that's not the primary intent why you go to an amusement park. you go to an amusement park to have fun right so again, there are some platforms that want to be that place where you you want to be entertained you want to have a funny vibe uh, you you want to create that funny vibe and so that's what the platform intends to be, and nothing wrong in that. And if that is the intent of the platform, what follows then is rules of what kind of content you see in the platform, because you're, you're shaping the platform a certain way, right? Again, no right or wrong answers, but it, it again d- depends on what, what your, your rules um, of engagement, your content guidelines, they're all an extension of your core values, They're an extension of what your community wants. And then the third but very foundational veneer is uh, what do you need to do to be in compliance with regulation in that particular jurisdiction, right? For me, that is the easiest. The easiest is tell me what's illegal in a country, what's legal in a country, I'll do it. No problems. There's there's no black or white. Well, there's some gray there because you have to interpret regulations, but in some cases... But it's easy, right if it's illegal, you know what's not allowed, you do that. but I think the complexity is when there when there's no regulation uh, or rather when the regulation is very broad, and you also have a very diverse community and 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 in some cases in in a lot of companies uh, and I've, I've I've had this struggle with other trust and safety leaders, they really don't know how the company is thinking about this right because I mean, again, what is a company? A company is different leaders with different cultural bringings, with different conditioning, right? And if you if you ask what is what is core, what 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 are some values that we believe in? Distilling that is a fine art. And over time, as leadership changes, as cultures change or evolve, you have to refresh that, right? And I've seen some platforms evolve from extreme free speech to hey, maybe we need to preserve civility in the platform. And that's a journey, right? So I would say to, for any trust and safety leader who is up and coming, there are, there are a few things, right? One is trying to understand and distill what, what are some core values that, that your company stands for, that you stand for, right? How do, you, how do you represent that in terms of community guidelines? Does what your company want, is it the same as what your community wants? Sometimes there could be a tension, right? The people who are using the platform might have a very different view of the platform compared to what you intend to as a as a as an owner of the platform, as somebody who's providing that service as a platform. Right? And 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 that's a very true tension. How do you reconcile that? Or how do you reconcile the tension between what your how your users use the platform versus maybe? How a certain jurisdiction governs in, in, in that jurisdiction. Right? Again, how do you reconcile cultural taboos? Very, very in, and, and what people don't realize is a lot of the societal fault lines manifest on digital platforms. It's not like the fault lines were never there, they were always there. It's just you 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 start to see them differently. And and then, and then you're left to, you know. Find ways to, to, to balance that and mitigate mitigate that. So those are some of the hard problems that nobody has solved for. But from a trust and safety perspective, I would say once you once you figure out what what is what are some of your core values and 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 how does that translate to in terms of community guidelines, and enforcement becomes the next you know more downstream but more important. Where how do you then enforce all those guidelines? How do you enforce that those guidelines in a way? which does not disrupt user experience, which, which is very much behind the scenes, but which, which also makes sure that users feel like they're protected. I mean, the, the best thing about technology is, uh, for me, when we talk about abuse protection or when we talk about people having a safe experience, you don't want it in your face, mm-hmm. right? No, nobody, like when you walk the streets, you don't, want, uh, peop- you don't want to see police cars lining up the street. That itself is scary right? But, uh, but a true safe ex- experience is where you walk down the street knowing that you're protected, but also not necessarily seeing police cars line up, right? So how do you, how do you create that user experience on, on a product where people feel safe, people have a positive experience, but they don't necessarily, uh, it doesn't create more friction in how they use the platform. It doesn't, there, it, there is an overt, I, I, I guess, disruption in how they use the platform there aren't a hundred screens that they need to click, right? And then the last piece is transparency, being transparent to users about how we govern the platform, being transparent about community guidelines, being transparent about the corpus of abuse we find on the platform, being open about reasoning behind why we take down certain kinds of content, why we don't take down certain kinds of content. it's transparency, accountability, you know, kind of on the user facing side, but it's also about product design. It's about influencing product design uh, from a trust and safety um, angle or purview.
0: I have to say, oh gosh, uh, you know, one of the things that I advocate the most in the trust and safety space is that you have to include trust and safety at a design phase for a product. and the trust and safety leaders should not be siloed uh, from or you know removed from the whole product design and the launch process. And exactly what you were saying, actually the easiest is actually to moderate out the illegal things. The hardest part is really bearing in mind that whatever you do, it's part of the product and user experience. So thank you so much for sharing your experience with us and give giving that lesson out to, to our audience. And I wonder if it's because all your experiences, interest and safety Stem from the time you were at Google, because it really start, started with the product quality. And it has been almost in your DNA for trust and safety, always go back to the brand identity, the product experience, etc.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I, I feel like that's the experience I draw on. And, and honestly, Tiffany, nuts and bolts of, of what this is, is how you're designing your product, right? Like even like, you know, when we talk about algorithmic things, when we talk about algorithmic bias, when we talk about, you know, different kinds of features, it, it is at, at, at the base where it starts at the atomic level. It's nuts and bolts, products and features. And wh- how was it designed? What was it intended for? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's been in a lot of ways, my, my, my way of looking and analyzing things. But you, you know, there are different ways you can solve. You can peel the onion and you can solve the same problem and you can look at the same problem in multiple lenses.
0: No, I really think this is a very forward uh, looking and a leaning way to really make trust and safety not only just a nice to have or uh, an insurance policy for the company, but really part of the growth for a company. So on that note, thank you so much for coming on Brand Safety Exchange. It was a wonderful mini masterclass for trust and safety you gave to our audience. Thank you so much.
1: Can I just say one, one last line? before yeah. I, you know, I, I thank you for this, for this opportunity, but more importantly, I think the work that you're doing is extremely, extremely critical and important. This is also why um, I want to be part of your journey and I want to be part of this, this cause. I feel like we're all fighting the good fight. And when you're fighting the good fight we, we all need to be together in this, like I said, abuse is not local it's global and it manifests across multiple platforms and user safety is not an issue for one or two two uh, companies it's it's universal and I think what's extremely important is at least in in today's time and day there needs to be an alignment and consensus across tech platforms and and there needs to be they need to come together of course there will always be Cultural differences, and but this is this is a non-compete space, right? Where all user safety is is I think a common value, or I'm hoping is common, uh, is a common cause across different platforms. And I think there is a, a need for platforms like yours to bring these platforms together. There's also perhaps a need to to build some sort of a minimum viable standard MVP. I, I don't know if you will ever have 100% consensus because, like I said, platforms are very different. Uh, But to the extent we can create an open standard, a common standard that uh, everybody can agree on, I I think that would be a that that creates an interesting anchor for companies to come together and work and, and there's some of these this happening right I mean uh, in the extremist content space we have coalitions right now we have consortiums in, in some cases regulations on online harm is forcing people to come together but I think we need more of this so more power to to you and and your uh, platform yeah um, <laughs> this this you know like I said we all need to come together to fight the good fight and, and thank you Tiffany for hosting me here today.
0: Thank you Arjun. I think Oasis is so lucky to have you and uh, I have to say quite sure it's so fortunate to have you too to lead a charge for trust and safety for the platform. Thank you so much Arjun. Thank you. Thank you.